vampires, werewolves, supernatural samurai, morality-driven serial killers, and even Santa Claus. Characters that imbue a cavalcade of fantasy, horror, and sci-fi storytelling that has been passed down for well over 100 years. The basic folkloric tenets of these archetypes are ever-evolving with each generation's own unique storytellers adopting it to fit their aesthetic as well as the cultural zeitgeist of their time, usually in pursuit of bringing the old into the new. The absolutes that define these characters stay the same, but the rules about the hows and whys are always meant to be broken and reshaped. And that brings us to today's episode, because we just so happen to have one of those rule-breaking, genre-bending, alternate-universe-creating magicians of magical mirth, whose novels and stories have reshaped the origins of those archetypes, filling the pages with a rewritten history at once brutal and carnal, as well as downright hysterical. He leaves his readers not only thrilled and laughing, but also in deep thought about representation, revenge, and justice. So put the towel under the door and make sure it's locked as we go full fantasy nerd out and so much more with author Stephen Van Patten. You're walking in on another $5 buzz. Well, hello there, all you freaks, geeks, maggots, and worms. The buzzers are here today, and we're ready to peck out your eyes and feast on your brainwaves. As there are murders of crows, we are a kettle of buzzards, and I'm joined, as always, with the usual carry-on craving crowd, one Mr. George Kursar, perched on his nest out in Connecticut. How goes the hunt here, sir? The hunt goes well. What's up, Roger? Just back from the Adirondack Mountains. Great for the soul, but back. happy to be back in this chair. Well, happy to have you back, my brother. And also, we have the West Hollywood purveyor of precious prey, Lots of fancy <laughs> rotten flesh out there. Mr. Catch anything scrumptious today, brother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, Roger. <laughs> well, we have a hot one for you today, cats and kittens, as we dig into a horror fantasy foxhole with author Stephen Van Patten. His first novel is the first of, the, of this trilogy called Brookwater's Curse, an absolute fantasy horror action nerd's fully realized wet dream. It's about a former Georgian plantation slave named Christian Brookwater, who in the course of the first novel becomes a vampire. It's part of a secret vampire law enforcement, bangs it out with werewolves and has a bad habit of picking out racists. He also has a rare condition that makes sex with women a dangerous affair, whatever that means. The other two novels continue the legend and journeys of Mr. Christian Brookwater. Mr. Van Patten also has a two-book series called Killer Genius about a woman serial killer who goes by, direct enough, Kendra the Killer Genius. She specializes in taking out racist, sexist, ignorant assholes, and career criminals in New York. Sounds like Ms. 45 without the suicide death wish. It's an Abel Ferrer film from the 80s. He also wrote a children's book called Rudy's Night Out about a young man named Rudy Brookwater. Hmm, any relation? Who sneaks out to a party and discovers a scary world out there? Uh, I've only read one of the novels, I have to tell you, Stephen, so just bear with me. I haven't okay. had it all. He co-wrote two metafiction novels. The first one is Hell at the Way Station with co-author Mark L. Abbott, and they followed that up with a sequel called Hell at Brooklyn T, which they co-authored with Kirk Johnson. The stories, if I'm correct, include yourselves as horror authors that must face off with demons in Brooklyn. Is that right? That is correct. The Hell at the Way Station won two African-American literary awards for Best Anthology and Best in Science Fiction. 
He also won an award for best independent publisher for his Laughing Black Vampire Productions publishing company. He has contributed to many other short story anthologies as a member of the New York chapter of the Horror Writers Association, wrote some TV episodes for a series called Viral Vignettes, and is a member of the DGA, go figure. You know, in his spare time, he's managed to do some stage managing. With that, I'm happy to introduce to you our beloved fellow buzzards and beautiful weirdos, acclaimed horror author, Mr. Stephen Van Patten. Hello, sir, and how are you doing this fine evening? I am fine. I, I cannot even, like, guys, really, it, it's like I feel so welcome. I feel so at home. I feel so uh, just happy to be with you guys. What's happening? Pete, you look, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, yeah. Steve, dude. we do go back a long ways, my friend. We go and, back uh, a, a, a bit. <laughs> yeah, man. Quite and I mean, uh, you know, uh, at the inception of this whole idea of the podcast, uh, you know, Roger and George, they're, these these guys are, you know, pop culture whiz, wizards. Roger's a, a film producer, and mm -hmm. George, you know, knows everything from A to Z and soup to nuts, uh, music and many other things. And, you know, we, we always concentrated on uh, and thought about Generation X and, and Generation X voices and how there aren't very many. And I, you've always stood out to me as one of the, one of those people that I've had in my life that's a Generation X voice that's strong and and should have every chance to uh to get to talk, man. So we are we feel very lucky to have you. So thanks for for, for joining us. Oh yeah, please. And yeah, I'm all about Generation X, baby. Generation X, here we are. We we were the ones that got got all the abuse from the baby boomers, and then we can't abuse millennials because <laughs> I know it's we can't. It's like there's like laws and shit, you know. It's like. You know, because have you argued with a millennial? Yo, they'll be wrong, <laughs> wrong as hell, and yeah. still put up like the most amazing like Simba versus Scar fight. It, it's like it's amazing. I I I don't even bother personally. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, our generation for all of its great uh, artistic contributions to the world. Uh, it's time to step up, I think, and uh, and make these uh, make these voices known uh, and fight fight the better fight. Anyway, so get back to uh, you as a young man sitting there in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, and you decide uh, what 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 is the what what is the inclination? What's the start? The beginnings of uh, your obsession with the all things horror? Uh, well, it was a it was a bunch of stuff, and. and... I think it starts with the fact that uh, my mother at one point was kind of a horror fan. So she'd have different um, Christopher Lee uh, horror stuff on, you know, because we always had like back in the day, we had like Creature Feature and Chiller and, and all those sort of like, you know, packaged. Commander uh, USA. Do you remember yeah. the USA? Yes. It was a, it was yes, a yes. movie and then it was a horror movie on like Saturday afternoon, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you had that kind of like prepackaged uh, stuff. And, um, you know, as a kid, you're just kind of sitting there watching it. And I, you know, early on, I kind of was one of these kids that was kind of very much into escapism. So, you know, you throw a sci-fi thing on, you throw a horror thing on, it's like, you know, hear from me from like, you know, whatever. And, you know, and it just got to the point where I, I literally was like sneaking around to try to watch horror movies and, 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 you know, and, and the thing is my mother, God bless her. She, uh, she worked nights. So, um, 
I would sneak up and continue to watch horror stuff in the middle of the night. And of course I'd have nightmares and things like that. And of course I toughened up eventually. And it was funny because my stepfather would be there with me when my mother was working, but he's a drunk. So he never really like busted me or anything like that. So I would sit there, watch Kolchak the Night Stalker in my room and he'd have, you know, as long as I, the thing I had to do was I had to just put a towel um, under like, by the bedroom door so you don't see the lights or whatever and then just kind of stay close to the tv and you know and i listen and I'm like oh okay bet and then i'd go to bed have nightmares and then go to school it, you know that was kind of my routine and you know like wash rinse repeat um but as i got older it started to kind of come to me that you know with, with my love of horror and science fiction and, and, and movies in general you know uh, you know i was falling in love with something that didn't necessarily love me back and so the idea to sit down and actually write something and, and, and create my own me personal mythos, or if you will, um, that had been something that kind of instilled in me, like, like as a as a child. I, I think it was kind of in the back of my mind by ten. And on top of that, I was also like a heavy reader. I had discovered Stephen King by a certain point, and I remember. Um, you know, because because full disclosure, I, I mean, I was a straight up nerd. That's why I never was one of the reasons why I never ended up getting in a drug game and all this other shit, because I had already kind of established myself as this like nice kid that reads a lot. You know, I'm like Cuba Gooden Jr. in Boys in the Hood. You know, <laughs> it's like you're on your way to killing somebody and you're like, Steve, get out of the car. You know, it's like like that's who I was. But I, I real talk. So like I, I just remember this one English class. Um, teacher the english teacher was like all right if you're done with the test just put it on the just put it on the desk don't say anything but just sit at your desk and do whatever you want to do so i finished the test way ahead of everybody else here's the, here's the test whatever so i'm sitting there reading the shining now i'm what 12 and of course there's parts of that that are going over my head but this is what i wanted to do she said i could do whatever i wanted to do so i'm sitting there and i'm reading the shining and she's literally like walking by making sure nobody's cheating on the test so it's like deek, 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 deek. and then and then she's like, deek, 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 deek. and then she's looking back at me and she's like, what are you reading? And I'm, and I'm in my, you know, my sarcastic ass is like, The Shining, what does it look like? Right. And she's like, and you understand it? And I, I you know, did I understand it? Maybe, I, you know, but I, the thing was, yes, this is what I'm reading. Yes, I understand it. It's fine. So what does she do? She goes ahead and after the test is over and she goes into this whole thing about how I'm so different from everybody else and I'm so this and I'm so that and da 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 and then pretty much after that you I needed a date planner for everybody that wanted to fight at three o'clock at this point because you know now now I've I've showed everybody else up in the class or whatever the fuck oh my god so um I kind of started keeping that stuff to myself after a while and you know and and also you know like girls back then they didn't want to talk about all this stuff and you know if you're trying to meet girls you're going to have to talk about other things so i kept it to myself and i went through school did my thing um and then i ended up working at mtv and i wanted and i always wanted to pursue writing but the doors weren't opening the way they you know i wanted them to um but somehow i caught a couple of lucky breaks in the tv production world I end up being a stage manager and now I'm stage managing. But as Pete will tell you, stage managing isn't really a creative 
uh, thing. It's more a logistical thing with personality juggling and, you know, look, here's the thing. I don't need you to be mad, but I need you to stand here. <laughs> and, you know, and all that shit. And, and it's, it's not creatively satisfying. So somewhere, I, you know, between my episodes of going out drinking with coworkers like Pete, I decided I was going to start writing my stuff. And I went ahead and I just started spending night after night after night, um, just working out, like you said, the vampire series. And, and it just kind of took over from there. Um, Would you call that like late 90s, maybe like early two, early? That's th- exactly early? it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly Because I remember as like, you know, when we first met, you had just maybe started, I mean, putting the time in, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, and then it was a few years after that when, when you released the book. And uh, I, I just remember being like, just feeling like how, how in juggling this career in New York City and getting that done. I mean, how do you do it? I, I, it, it was incredible, to be honest with you, just to oh, see. Thanks someone gets some that whole other thing done and now to where it's gotten to i mean you're publishing your own stuff you're publishing other people's stuff i mean it's it's pretty amazing man you've come a long way with all that from from that moment and in a pretty short amount of time too if you think about it yeah relatively i mean i mean (laughs) considering um considering that i still stage manage i i still pick up a show here and there and you know um the one, the one funny thing about stage managing also is that you can be the greatest stage manager of all time, but if you're on a show, if you're on shows that consistently get canceled, you still have to kind of, you know, you know, like, you're, like if you have a cat and you're like, you know, you do the whole laser thing with the cat, <laughs> you know, that's kind of like how I am with TV shows. It's like I'm just following the little laser that fate yeah. kind of like, you know, makes me do. But um, so it's funny. Speaking of publishing other people's things. Um, so you remember Ray Munz? Yeah. Yeah. So Ray, who was um, yet another person of color who wasn't exactly having the greatest time in the world at MTV, um, he and I kept in touch, and he was a VJ, a very ill-fated VJ in that respect. But, um, you know, he's, he's still making a life for himself and everything else like that. And one of the things he decided to do was become an expert on growing cannabis. Really? Yes. So if you happen to go tooling through my uh, website, you'll see a, a book entitled has absolutely nothing to do with horror, and it's entitled Growth, The Basics of Our Gardens. <laughs> but there's a big old cannabis leaf on the cover, which kind of, so it's a very innocuous title, but the cover is like, <laughs> by the way, motherfucker, this is what this book is actually about. <laughs> and it's it's basically an instructional manual on growing weed. And there's some chap there's a chapter written by him, and there's another chapter written by another uh, weed growing aficionado by the name of uh, Jacob Pisano. And um, and it was funny because Ray was pestering me as Ray does, and he was like. Yeah, I want to put this book together. I think we got to do this SVP, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know, Ray, um, here's the thing. If I publish the book, I get a cut of the money. I could just tell you how to do this. And, and, and see, I was trying to be ethical because to be completely honest with you, when I started the Serial Killer series, 
I had a guy step to me from who I met through the Horror Writers Association who was like, oh, I'll publish your serial killer book and da 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 da, da. And, and what does he do? He basically just throws it up on Kindle. And, uh, uh, and, and you know, and, 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 and he ends up getting a whole bunch of money. Um, and Killer Genius actually was like nominated for an African American Literary Award. It was, it, 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 to date, I believe it's my bestseller. I let somebody else take all the money. So, um, and then he gets out of the publishing game completely. And then what do I have to do? I have to come up with different ISBN numbers and I have to republish and recover and do all this other stuff. And that's when I was kind of like, you know what? I'm just, I, 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 I don't trust people anymore. Yeah, that's uh... when I was kind of done with the whole, what other writers do, you know, just constantly pursuing all these contracts and things like that. I was like, you know what? I'm just, just for my own peace of mind, you know, and just for the fact that I, I need my money to come to me. It's like, that's, that's why I now have things set up the way I have set up. But Ray, <laughs> as I, as I have now experienced that, I am trying to tell Ray, Hey, you know what? I am your friend. So here's the thing. I can actually give you the instructions. You can go ahead and self-publish this yourself. And and like and he was like, no, no, I'll, I'll you can have the money. I just want he was just so like, you know, whatever. So I was like, okay, all right, I'll do it. I'll I'll publish a weed book while they're legalizing this shit. I got no problem with that. <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, what's, what's, what's awesome about that is though, you know, for one thing, that's all, congratulations. Cause that's great. And, you know, good for Ray for, for going with someone who's put the work in, put the time in. I mean, your grind doesn't quit, man. I mean, it's not a night. I don't see you're on a podcast. You're on, you're out there, uh, doing readings. You're out there, uh, doing, uh, all, all kinds of events and all kinds of things constantly, man. So that you've, deciphered the world of publishing and self-published and get that going for you you deserve everything every single thing that comes to you as a result as far as i'm concerned i, I mean come that. on man now some of that i have to admit some of that is actually guidance from the horror writers association i have to Good. i have to so what happened while i was still struggling with a shiesty publisher and and i was three books deep into brookwater's curse and everything else like that i ended up <clears throat> kind of it was a timing thing you know it was like the new york chapter of the horror rights association was trying to like pick themselves back up after some kind of scandal or some other craziness i don't even really i'm not really even privy to but um there was like some membership issues or something like that but then they had this new coordinator this guy james chambers great guy and i stepped to him and i was like look I got this going on, this going on, this going on. I know it's not a traditional, you know, publishing thing. You know, I know I'm not, I know I'm not like, you know, HP Lovecraft or, you know, anybody like that. But he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And we went over it and he was like, okay, you're in. So then I join and then I show up at these meetings. And one of the things that they immediately were talking about was anthologies. And it's like, look, um, it's great that you jumped ahead and, and did this vampire series you've got this serial killer thing happening and got all this stuff going on but um nobody really knows who the hell you are so what we want to do is we want to start you doing some short stories then you know you'll audition those short stories in different people's anthologies and that's where your name will get out because what'll happen is if you're you know good you know good enough 
right place, right time, right fits, whatever. Uh, your story gets an in an anthology with somebody who's more well-known than you are, and then people discover you. Yeah. And that, and that, to be completely honest, has been a huge thing. And, and then we started doing events. Now, mm -hmm. the thing about the events is, I mean, writers do this kind of thing all the time where it's like you get like three or four guys together in a coffee house or, you know, some like kind of dive bar or whatever with a little mini stage. It's like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the <laughs> Horror Writers Association. Uh, first up, we're going to have blah, 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 and he's going to read blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the people switch on and off the stage. Uh, when they explained to me what they wanted to do, it's like, then I actually turned it around and turned it into my, my TV bag. And I said, um, how about if I DJ the event? And they were like, what? Because, well, to be completely honest, it's like, um, outside of myself and Mark Abbott, who's the only people of color in the meeting, and you're like, DJ the event. <laughs> and then I tried to explain what I basically want to do is because I have a little tractor deck. And, I, and the thing is, I'm not trying to front like I'm front master flex or somebody, you know, it's like, but I, I can look and I also because I was kind of a party boy, you know, I hung with DJs, I kind of, you know, so I can kind of blend and mix and, you know, go through different genres and shit like that. All sure. Right, so it just, you know, it's just a little something I picked up and I'm like, look, I have an idea. So basically what it is, is the event would start, doors open. You understand this, Pete, doors open. So you let the people that are coming to hear the readers, you know, they come sit down, they order their drinks and whatever. But instead of like silence or the radio or some other nonsense, I'm actually playing music, which has always been hilarious because I remember this one time I actually, uh, I think we was in the Lovecraft bar, which doesn't exist anymore. So what I would do, I you know, I I play load in music basically, right? Yeah, sure. And then we start, and you know, and I and what I would do sometimes is I I would have a microphone as well. So you know, I'd say something to the effect of "Welcome to the New York chapter of the Horror Writers Association Galactic Terrors event," uh, brought to you by the New York chapter of the Horror Writers Association and Count Chocula cereal. Now give it up. <laughs> And then I bring the MC on, I play like the theme from Hellraiser or some shit like that. And then he, you know, and then that goes back to, you know, the regular thing. But then as each reader comes up, I play music. I play them on and off, you know, so it's like, you know, depending on, on what, what their style is, because everybody would have a different style. So like for Mark Abbott, for example, I, I would play like the theme from Psycho or, or something like that. And, you know, it's like whoever it is. Now it's a little tricky when it's time for me to read um because of course nobody else knows how to operate the equipment like, hey, so, could you uh forget it <laughs> right exactly so they right so they they introduced me and i was like so the last time we did this of course was like a couple of months before covid kicked in and um i actually played for myself uh the theme from the latest godzilla movie <laughs> nice like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and then i just cut it off real quick and run up on stage um and then i read my bit and there's no closing music for me but it's fine because you know <laughs> the way they usually put me in the lineup is when there's an intermission anyway so it's like ah, all right go get a drink um so we got to the point where we were really in a groove with that and then COVID oh, and the thing man. is and the thing is we've got a, a couple of uh people in the in the New York chapter high risk is hell 
So yeah. it was like, well, guess we're staying, you know. And and so we were doing Zoom meetings and we've been doing Zoom shows. Yeah. We've been doing all that stuff. So we we kept it pushing, but what was a little messed up, of course, was just the fact that um, you know, uh I had actually just before COVID, I had just re-upped the supply of all my books. And now I'm literally sitting on a stack of books. There's books at my mother's back in Fort Green. It it's like I was like, oh, okay, so when is COVID gonna be over? Because I need to get to a horror writing convention because I'm tripping over books. Um, yeah. you know, so that was kind of a drag. Um But change you changed the game with the with those events. I mean, I, I remember I remember there was an Irish bar over on what was it, forty fifth, you guys started doing that even earlier on, even with the DJ. I remember mm-hmm. just as I was even leaving, because you guys you, you started doing that and it just built up and built up and built up. I mean, what a way to change the game just to get yourself even recognized back then. It was Oh, it's awesome you know yeah 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 i well i wanna um i kind of when when we get back full circle i i kind of want to introduce it on a on a bigger scale or, or maybe because this chap there's, there's horror writers association chapters in like every major city in the country so i almost want to be like all right well you know let me let me get some let me get my want to be dj horror writer dudes and let's all sit down and then you guys can make your stuff as exciting as, as this New York shit is. Cause yeah. y'all don't know what you're missing. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's so. a fantastic idea. Hey, so ask me uh, real quick. So when you're growing up and you're, <clears throat> and you had, you're watching movies. I mean, what, what are the, you know, five or six that really stuck out for you that, that made you want to actually I mean, what was the when was the hit on the head that made you really want to focus on? Uh, it was it was more than a couple. It was more than a couple yeah. hits on the head. But we'll start with we'll start with Black Illa and Scream. Black Illa Scream. Now mm-hmm. I realize these movies do not, not hold up from a technical standpoint, uh, but the sheer significance of those movies to me, first of all, is William Marshall's performance. William Marshall playing Mama Walde, aka Black Illa. Um, what was that? What's that, Rudge? Shakespearean actor. Yes, exactly. And he brought such dignity uh, to that part as, as otherwise campy as it may have turned out that even at like, I don't know, was I seven, eight, something like that when I saw that movie, uh, that always stuck with me. And, you know, there, there were some lines in there that were just like, it, it was it was just incredible. Like there's one scene in Scream Black, Illa Scream where he, you know, he's kind of like walking and he's propositioned by a prostitute and he kind of dismisses it because he already just bit somebody and he's like, ah, you know, get out of here. And then he gets cornered by these two pimps and he's trying to explain to them, guys, I- I'll fuck you up, like get out of here. right? And, and then he finally ends up saying something to the effect of, and I'm, I'm going to screw it up, but it's something to the effect of um, all you're doing is emulating your former slave masters and you've made your sister a slave. And that and, and what clicked off in my head there was that, oh, I can make social commentary in horror. Oh, snap. And that right there. So those two you got right there. Comedy um, horror. You could sneak that right in. Yeah. Yep. How about that? How about that? Um, I'll say another one. Um, Jaws. Yeah. Because Jaws, Jaws was, and I know I'm, I'm you know, going off 
a little bit because you know there's it's like jaws is first of all any debate that jaws is not a horror movie it's like please get out of here um Full on it, it's, right it, it's um and it's not even so much about you know the the, the whole thing about you know a, a beach being terrorized it's these three very different men who go after the shark you know, and it almost becomes this like, you know, as a little kid, you're kind of like, well, who do I want to be in this scenario? You know what I mean? Do I want to be the really gruff, like over, I mean, mind you, he's fun. Robert Shaw's performance in this movie is is, 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 is freaking amazing. But right. then, you know, for all his expertise, all his bluster, he still ends up dead. Richard Dreyfus, on the other hand, the smartest guy in the room, technically, um, but he ends up having to hide in the ocean floor <laughs> until Roy Scheider shoots the thing. And that's like the lucky, that's like the luckiest, like, you know, it was like, oh, so we got the oxygen tank in the shark's mouth. He shoots the oxygen tank. <laughs> I mean, in a way, it's complete BS, but the way it's done is, is it's like just makes up for the fact that it's BS, you know? Um, because of the success of The Exorcist, studios were really first time looking at a horror movie at, um, was essentially really just a monster movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, putting, you know, even though he was a young man, Spielberg, they still put a lot of money behind that film. They, you know, you, you know, the, the, the shooting schedule way past. Oh, yeah, yeah. Way over budget, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you sort of what's different than so many other movies is that it has a studio behind it. They pumped in the big, you know, and that happens all the time now. But back then, that was rare to have a film and that caliber of a filmmaker and that group of people to come together. It wasn't until The Shining was really the next one that had, or The Omen also had a big studio uh, element to it, too, before yes. it had a major filmmaker to give it a sort of like, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? A set of, a sort of class that a lot of films, genre films, end up being in sort of a basement. You know, even though that's where all the best stuff actually grows. That's yes. where that's ideas come from. That's where film noir came from. That's where Italian neorealism came from. It was from films that were uh, on the off the beaten path or, you know, uh, underneath the radar. Yes. And Jaws was not one of them. It certainly brought everything out. Psycho too. But Psycho was a lurid, mellow, was, was a very lurid black and white movie that he made with a television crew and ended up creating, you know, essentially reinventing horror from from the get out um uh, 1960 and that didn't even happen again until 13 years later With, uh, um so where were we uh, three so we've got uh black yellow screen black yellow screen and then uh jaws what year um, is that one i, I know jaws is, is i know yes 1972 was the first 72 wow you know yeah what was there um, uh crazy yeah well yeah well. um speaking of the exorcist so the exorcist is one of the few things that i mean it still holds water to this day i mean granted the beginning's a little slow i think for today's audiences you think so but i well just 
thinking kids that you know now they're they're so you know there's so much instant gratification is like you know the second you start like some sort of like fast and the furious or a transformers movie is like something being blown up like almost in like three frames in you know um which doesn't i mean it doesn't diminish the exorcist for me i'm just saying you know from a generational standpoint um but i love the exorcist and the exorcist scared the shit out of me as a kid and but it didn't scare scare me but so much because when i was watching this is full disclosure i did cover my face a few times you know so i didn't really the funny thing is i didn't really get the full effect of the exorcist until i was in college and i was in college and i was actually in charge of uh the audiovisual center uh at night and for whatever reason long island university had a big old satellite dish and that was strange because we had access to everything and we had this and we had this dean uh joe slade uh probably shouldn't say his name but you know it just it, he's probably dead now but the the point is so slade was actually working on some sort of dissertation about porn so every once in a while while i'm working in the office i turn the tv on and the devil and miss jones would just suddenly pop up or vanessa del rio and it's like oh well he apparently he was, he was doing some sort of you know thesis <laughs> like and he needed he needed the audiovisual department to record all these movies so you know it's like it, it wouldn't be that often that i get a chance to get to the satellite dish and this one night that you know we weren't recording anything for dr slade and uh i saw that the exorcist was on but it was well after hours well after the audiovisual stuff was done and whatever but i said you know what fuck it I got the keys. I got the burglar uh, code. Security knows me. I'm just going to stay out, hang out, and watch this movie. So there I am in the basement of the Library Learning Center at Long Island University all by myself. And it's, yes, and it's midnight. And movie starts, and I'm just sitting, and I'm just watching, and I'm just watching. And then just as she gets to this the, the the part where she's throwing this guy around and it's let jesus you know that part a mouse runs right across <laughs> the room like literally six inches away from my feet he sees me i see him we both fucking panic it's a mess i mean nobody saw it me but it, it's just you know, it's just the fact that that happened, and I didn't have a heart attack, and and you know, oh god, I don't, I, that. I would, I don't know if I would have survived something like that. I had the Z channel in my bedroom as a kid in Rancho <laughs> when I was living there for a brief period of time. Mm. The Z channel was a great channel back in the day, and mostly out here in California, it was the fan, most fantastic programming. And my parents told me to go to bed that night. Absolutely do not watch this movie. They'd let me watch anything. Mm. That's uh, around 1978. So I'd have been nine years of age. So, of course, I turn on the TV and the first thing I see is her masturbating with the crucifix and putting her mother's face <laughs> in her lap. And she's, you know, fuck her. And then, you know, she does throw her across the room. And I walk out and I walk out to the living room. And I'm pale as a ghost. My mom looks at my dad and I, she said, I told you not to put that fucking TV in the room. Because <laughs> I just couldn't help myself, man. 
Oh, man. But that was the thing about The Exorcist, right? It was like the more you heard about it as a little kid, the more you were like, wait, what's going on? You know, and and, and yeah. Would you guys but, consider uh, that probably the scariest movie? Uh, I mean, is that the scariest movie, The Exorcist? No, but it's it scared a lot of people. It, I, 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 maybe top three ever. All right. Well, I mean, it's 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 certainly certainly a powerful powerful film to watch with an audience too. Yeah. Just watch them on a roller coaster ride. I thought uh, Texas Chainsaw would be my pick. That's a great one. That's a good pick. Fantastic film. That's a but good pick. My personal favorite horror film is Night of Living Dead for certain reasons. Uh, I'm a big George Romero fan. And it's all great film noir. Anyway, so so you got your uh, Jaws. You said The Exorcist, and uh, what else? Uh, did you read a lot too as a kid? As far uh, as the- poured through a lot of Stephen King stuff. Yeah, you read Definitely. Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I actually insisted on doing it for English class at one point because there's one of those English teachers like, well, you can choose this, you can choose that. Da, 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 da. I was like, all right, Dracula. Thank you. Good night. Also, kind of prerequisite if you're going to write a book about vampires, right? Yeah, of course. At least, like yeah. the rules to know what to break, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then, um, yeah, I mean, what? So, but I, but you said that I, I was reading something that you were talking to somebody else about The Shining and how much the film version, when you saw it as a kid, sort of uh, disappointed you. I think you went with your mother. Because- yes, uh, that's 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 a story. Like, yeah, um, that the character that he played was a, it was the hero in the novel, as we know. He, well, that, he's right, exactly. Um, not so much in the in the, in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of a sacrificial lamb in it. So, all right, so um, I don't feel like I, I necessarily am spoiling this for anybody, but but apologies if I am. <laughs> um, so, in the novel version of The Shining. Um, there is a black man who bonds with the little boy whose dad is destined to lose his shit and start, you know, chasing them around that big old uh, winter resort with an axe. And um, yes, that's right, Dick Halloran. And um, so in the book, uh, he shows up and he basically rescues the wife and child, which is a stark contrast to what happens um, in the uh, in the movie, thanks to Stanley Kubrick. Now, I, I should double back just to say, and you probably, I, I bet you probably already know this story, Roger. Uh, when they were making The Shining, um, Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick weren't exactly seeing eye to eye on things. Matter of fact, um, there's a there's a documentary I forget the name of the documentary but there's a whole thing that somebody put together that basically illustrates how many times Stanley Kubrick says fuck you to Stephen King the little things that you know uh, uh, Stephen King would probably see and be like this mother you know as he's watching the movie like pure jabs at Stephen King documentary room 237 is it I think that's it. I think, I think, yes, 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 yes. Uh, Rodney Ash um, is a friend of mine. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, there you go. Um, so all these little fuck yous, and of course the big fuck you is, um, Scat, well, so, okay, so first of all, um, the fact that Scat Mag Brothers was cast 
as opposed to Richard Roundtree or, or somebody who looks like they could throw a punch. Um, the fact that, that, you know, like as a kid, I should have, you know, I, it's like, I, I, obviously I'm not the older cynical TV person that I am now, or, you know, I know something about show business or else I would have already smelled a rat. But at the time, um, you know, I read the book, I was excited to see, you know, black man saved the day and, and all this. And I talked my mother and my aunt Patsy into taking me to see this movie. We were talking two older black women from Alabama <laughs> who really did not appreciate having to watch Scatman Crothers take an ax in the chest and then proceeded to give me the blues all the way home. So, um, needless to say, a seed of resentment was planted that day. And that's, yeah, uh, you know, in terms of, I mean, as much as I love vampire movies, as much as I love um, horror in general, as much as I'm a fan of horror science fiction and everything, much as I'm a fan of everything, the thing, one of the things that really set me off was the shit I got that night as I was coming home from The Shining. What is it about, what is it about Stephen King movies? They're either really Perfect. good or they're, they're horrible or they're horrible <laughs> they can't get the stand right i i mean they i didn't see this last one but i heard it was horrible as well yeah that book's yeah. amazing it, yeah it, it, it's like i'm not quite sure what it is i i honestly think it's it, it it's just tough to break down his shit in two hours yeah you know it it, it just is because there's layers you know that that you just you know I think, you know, it gets to the point where reading the book actually helps prepare you for the movie, but then, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's just not enough sometimes. And so speaking of Stephen King, one, one last little note about my poor mother. Um, like I said, she, like, she started off, I think, she started off as a horror fan because, you know, we watched all this, all these old hammer, you know, Peter Cushing chasing Christopher Lee around and, you know, and all that. Like, we watched all of that together. My mother, I believe, between that night with The Shining and, and honestly, Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot, my mother kind of checked out after that. She's never, outside of reading my stuff, she has no interest in horror whatsoever. <laughs> and it, and, and I, if I'm not entirely mistaken, I think it was little Ralphie Glick, vampire Ralphie Glick scratching at that bedroom window to get his brother. I think my mother was done after that. <laughs> I, I think that was passed. it because her reaction was just kind of like, and then she's looking at me like, should I be letting you watch this? It's like, like she was done and, and she, yeah, she, she was done. She, you know, like I, I go over there right now and be like, Hey mom, you want to watch that? She's like, no, <laughs> so she's she's outside of reading my stuff because she you know she she's very supportive that way but outside of that no she's done. She's done. my own dad won't watch my own movies because he hates horror movies so there you go <laughs> it's the same thing <laughs> he hates them too even pete doesn't even like horror films that much <laughs> i have i i i 
I struggle with them. I do. Yeah, no, we and we talk about that back yeah. in the day. Oh yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know. SVP. Well, listen, SVP, we're, uh, we, we've been going a little bit. We typically take a quick little break, which I think we're going to do right now. And if you indulge us for another like 15, 20 after that, we want to talk to you just about a few more things, if that's cool with you. I know we're going over a little bit, but we still got a little bit more to get to, if that's all right with you. Yeah, it's all good. I ain't got a curfew. Be right back. Hey, we have a quick favor to ask. We want to get the word out, and the way to help is for you to subscribe to us on either Apple or Spotify. And it would be really huge. If you give us a rating and a review, much love. And we're back, Pete. Thank you for the reload. Um, have the citrus spray in my hand. SVP, uh, I was reading a little bit about um, your preparation as you went into uh, starting the first book of the trilogy, I believe it was. And I know that you spent some time in Osaka, Japan. As far as I understand it, there really is not much a vampire uh, folklore or any type of stories in the Japanese culture. So, uh, A, what was the trip? What was your motivation for trying to bring some elements from Japan into the storyline? Um, well, uh, I think I was, uh, to be completely honest with you, I was kind of being greedy. I had, uh, and, and along with my horror movies and everything else like that, I had uh discovered akira kurosawa i'd never heard of him he's never oh. heard of him um, <laughs> and nothing would surprise me more uh it's like please um so i had just discovered akira kurosawa i had just seen the movie ron and um and i had also actually uh been studying kendo yeah. a few years prior um so, I mean, it, it, I, unfortunately, I didn't really get to stick with it because then the MTV kind of took over my life. But, um, you know, Bill's first, right? You know, it's like, you learn how to sword fight later. Uh, <laughs> so um, I kind of had all this other stuff in my head about, you know, giving my main character a samurai friend. And I came up with this whole uh, thing that actually... Um, and, and conveniently in the first book, I just kind of, I, I kind of borrowed a page from the people who make Godzilla movies. And I just, you know, created this like secluded island where he ended up and then he met these vampire samurais, um, where Christian Brookwater meets these vampire samurais. And, um, excuse me. So in the second book, I decided that we we're going to have a, a, a fight in Japan. And I had already, in the first book, I had actually already uh, visited Senegal to stage uh, a large part of um, the, the climax of the first book in Senegal. Now, the funny thing about that was, you know, so you're up in the way hours of the night and the morning and whatever. And I came up with this whole plot twist where this Senegalese werewolf was now going to kidnap this this woman who has a child. She's going to kidnap the child of this woman who had rejected him, and he's going to take her to Senegal. He's going to force uh, her and these vampires and everybody else to come rescue this kid. And I remember being very satisfied with myself as I was 
finally going to bed to get my four hours of sleep before I have to be with Pete over at MTV. <laughs> and then a voice, just as I'm about to fall asleep, a voice clicks off in my head and says, hey, dummy, you've never been to Africa before. How are you supposed to finish this story? Um, uh, and this is like the whole, all right, I'll figure something out, I'll figure something out. Um, and then I'm telling, because I this wasn't something I was sharing with everybody, especially in the in the early phase. But the few people I did say something to, they were like, dude, just go to Jamaica. Like, what's the matter with you? You know, and everybody was like getting all pissy with me and whatever. And I was like, and you know, and I was a younger man then, so I was very much, no, 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 artistic integrity, blah, 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 blah. And so I insisted on doing this. And then finally, um, a, a mutual friend of ours, Pete, Sanji, uh, who was taking an African dancing class, she was one of our Chiron operators at the time, um, she suggested I tag along with this drumming and dancing class that was going to Senegal. Wow. And it, you know, I, and, and I, it, was, it, was see, it seemed cost effective at the time, and that turned out to be a lie, and I'll explain that in a second. But okay, so I get to the airport i don't know any of these people i don't even know the air what the name of this airline is that i've never heard of before i get on this plane and it's it's full of people in kenty cloth and it's awesome and we fly we and we go past all the guys with the with the mirrored sunglasses and the old school m16s and we get to this dude's house and they literally spend two weeks just trying to rip us off um oh, it, it no. was it was bananas but but, but it was, you know what, but I still got stuff out of it because, you know, there were still classes happening. It's just that with the classes, everybody just kind of had their hand out. Hey, are you going to need these sunglasses when you go back to America? You know, like that kind of shit. Oh, you man. know, we, you'd be eating dinner and guys would literally walk into the house trying to sell you stuff. It, it was like, you know, it was, it was, it was a little much, but this is what, this is sort of like an exaggerated version of what New York does to tourists. You know, it's like, we, we catch you at the store, uh, you know, the, the, the people trying to separate you from your money, literally follow you around. Um, and, they, and everything was up for grabs. Everything was up for grabs. I, I, I use a very specific hair pomade and the lady of the house happened to notice the jar of hair pomade while I was, you know, you know, fixing myself up one morning. And it was like, can I, can I borrow the hair pomade? And I was like, sure, whatever. All right. I figure she's just going to whatever. A few hours later, I noticed every woman within like a mile radius is laced up all of a sudden. Like, what, is there a party going on today? Oh, like, man. What's, what's going on? Right? Like my oh, dumb ass is man. like, I didn't put it together. Like I had literally one jar hair pomade basically like changed the whole scene the whole village and and then i go back the next morning hey you know i'm trying to do my hair here Can I? there was literally this much left in the jar i was oh. like well, she sat up here and really like she hooked the, the whole neighborhood up with the hair that was like bananas um but regardless of all that the inconveniences and, and everything um the the what i wrote would not be as 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 crisp, uh, it wouldn't have locations. I would not have thought to use uh, this one lighthouse that I found. There was just it was just so much authenticity that the trip allowed that it totally made 
you know, all the inconveniences, all the like stupid stuff. And, you know, it, it made everything worth it, including the malaria medication, which I later found out army guys were like shooting themselves in the head when they were taking it. And it was just like, you know, oh and I remember and, and, but, but what the funny part about that was when the doctor, you know, before I was leaving, the doctor was like, so this malaria medication makes people depressed. And of course, my flipping ass was like, I work in television. Bring it. It's, uh, it's all good. <laughs> um, you know, you know, and come to find out, you know, as I'm as I'm at the tail end of the prescription, because the thing is, you have to keep taking it even when you get back. Really? At least that, at least that was the case back then. I'm sure by now they've they've adjusted these things. And, and I'm literally I'm in a car with the woman I'm dating at the time and we're driving around and this report comes on and it's about the medicine I have been taking for the past month. And it's literally about army dudes killing themselves. And oh. I'm like, no wonder I feel so bad. Oh, OK. But it was at this point, it was like the last I had like two pills left. Like, <laughs> Did you <okay>. finish? <laughs> no. I didn't. I was like, you know what? Let's let malaria kill me if that's what's going to happen. Oh, man. Awesome, man. But, um, yeah, the Senegalese trip, of course, spawned, okay, I should go to Japan if I'm going to, you know, stay true to what I'm doing here. And um, and I know for a fact, and, and now that, you know, with you sitting right here look, looking at me right now, Pete, I remember... You were like probably the first person I talked to right after I bought the tickets because I I bought them in the computer in the bullpen that MTV used to have. And then I walk out and there you are. Hey, what are you doing? It's me. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm making plans to go to Japan. And you were all psyched and everything like that. So that's kind of funny. I do. You know? I absolutely remember that. I also uh, remember, yeah, I absolutely remember you going, uh, planning pretty, that trip. Yeah. Amazing. Um, good beat. <laughs> yeah i also remember you went to deadwood yes some years later too that was, I mean, that you, was another thing that was yeah, another man, thing you you, you have, i mean you know you you might say it's you know not worth it or worth it or whatever but you have been to the locations that you care about you've done your work you, you yeah. get that cannot be taken away from you as far as that goes man come on yeah no well the deadwood thing was Excellent really like stuff. sort of like a, a side note because i you know i love westerns you know, so getting to see Deadwood in person, you know, certainly had its, uh, you know, nostalgic value and visiting Wild Bill Hickok's grave and Calamity Jane's grave and all that other stuff. But the real reason I was in South Dakota was to actually go to Wounded Knee. Oh, wow. Awesome. Now, so the funny thing about that trip, it's like I, I, I was kind of like, OK, I'm going to South Dakota. I'm going by myself. I'm black. Uh, let's see. Um, let me hire somebody uh, to sort of like. And 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 the thing is, it's like, it's like I probably the South Dakota trip. I was more paranoid than anything else, just because you know I don't know who I'm running into, you know, and that kind of thing. So I ended up hiring this very nice lady who is, you know, she's a tour guide, but. She, when, when we were speaking before I got out there, she was kind of like, um, well, I'm, I'm really used to people who just want to see Mount Rushmore and go whitewater rafting. Like, what exactly are you trying to do? And I'm like, I want to go to Wounded Knee. I want to see different points of interest from like when the Sioux were disenfranchised, you know, and, I, and it was museums and, and stuff like that. And that's when she figured 
you know, I would want to see Deadwood. I'm like, sure, I want to, I'd love to see Deadwood. That'd be great. But the focus, the main focus was Wounded Knee because I it was incorporating Wounded Knee, oddly enough, in the same damn book that, um, you know, has the whole Japan thing because the South Dakota thing was kind of like a flashback. So, mm -hmm. um, so she did a great job of, you know, picking places for us to visit. Um, but things kind of hit ahead because we end up visiting this campus. Uh, it's called uh, Aglala State University. And it was a campus basically inhabited by uh, Lakota Sioux college kids. And there was an exhibit and you know how you go to a museum and they give you some headphones and you go from exhibit to exhibit point A, B and, a, and you have a little something to listen to and you kind of work your way around the room. So the whole thing was really a full on breakdown of what the US government did to the American Indians in general, but primarily to the Lakota Sioux. And so it's kind of funny as we as we as a nation now argue whether or not we're going to have critical race theory in schools and things like that, because, okay, so I had done a significant amount of reading on Wounded Knee. So I knew most of this going in as we're walking through the museum exhibit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go through the, the like, then they move the reservation over here, then moved over here, the smallpox blankets, yeah, we, we, we knock all that down. And then the last thing, crazy enough, is us sitting down in this little mini theater while they show us um, what's basically US soldiers putting, um, the Lakota Sioux that they killed right after the Wounded Knee Massacre into a mass grave. My God. And the fact that there's, first of all, the fact that there's footage left of that was amazing because I didn't know that. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God. And you see the leaders, you see Red Cloud and a few others, and, mm. and they're being put in this mass grave. That's Lights deep. come on. What's that? That's the visual of a lot of genocides. That's usually a... a, a a mark of a lot of that i'm just thinking of the uh shadows and fog and the um you know the mm -hmm. films that are about uh, uh the holocaust very similar yeah. just yeah just, homicidal maniacs tend to put people in the big mass graves with yeah them. no but what was what was telling lights come on um and it's a very somber moment but my guide she was like, I need a minute. And she ran out, ran out to the parking lot and was gone for a while. And now I'm like, I'm in the middle of South Dakota by myself. Uh, better go out in the parking lot and see what's going on. I get out there. She's full on bawling, just, just crying. First time she had seen this, isn't it? Born and raised in South Dakota, knew none of what she had just learned. And now I'm comfort and now I'm trying to comfort her. I just met her like four hours ago. So I'm like, hey, all right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, all right. I know it's terrible. And you know, we talked it down. We got back in the car and you know, we, we talked, you know, politics in general after that for a little bit. I go home, we we remain Facebook friends and we kind of trade jokes back and forth here and there. And then we we don't we we stop talking so much. But then she reaches out to me at one point, 
And she's like, yeah, check out the website. I, I've made some changes with the company. I divorced my husband. I got this new guy and blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh, this is all great, right? I go to the website, come to find out that she has now hired a Lakota Sioux woman to help explain that part of stuff as they go from site to site to site. So her, she actually ended up changing her whole thing based on what she saw that day. And I was like, wow. In, in the, in the state on of Dakota, you enacted change for real. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's a wild, wild story. Did you, uh, <clears throat> for your other novels, wait, tell me a little bit about the, about the metafiction books. What is, what is the notion about you guys going around being demon chasers with ghostbusters and shit what are you guys doing okay so <laughs> first of all I, I i full disclosure i mean i'm the publisher of record i wrote a, a significant amount of, of of what's in those books but i this was not my original idea let me tell you what happened so uh like i said mark abbott who i met through the horror writers association turns out he only lives a few minutes away from me and the whole thing so you know, we become fast buddies real quick. And, you know, and he, he he likes to shoot little short movies. He actually cast me as a vampire in one of them. Surprise. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so we're, we're like mad cool. So we've started like drinking together. I know Pete's amazed at that. So um, one night, well, he, we're particularly inebriated. Uh, he's, he goes on about how he keeps submitting these short stories. Because remember when I said the Horror Rights Association, the guidance for everybody was like, yo, get those short stories in those anthologies, build that brand, you know, that's how you do it, right? So he, I guess he had just gotten rejected a few times and drunk and he was like, hey, we should just put the story out anyway, because, right? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and I'm, I'm, whatever yeah yeah sure we can buy this bar you know it's like it's fine yeah let's go and then sober up realize what i agreed to and then we we circle back we talk about it and it's like all right this is what we'll do and we came up with the framework of actually having a little bit adventure inside of the bar which was named the way station uh the way station of course has now been a victim of covid it no longer exists but um we did this whole thing where it's like we have this adventure and it's kind of like the tough guy versions of ourselves and it was funny because like he was actually in charge of kind of putting the climax together and then when i read what he wrote i was like oh hell i'm gonna have to start lifting weights because people are gonna like me look because i'm i'm in the climax like i'm i'm full on like pa, pa, pa. it's like yeah you know giving them the two-piece you know and i was like yeah wait oh wow okay all right let's do it but along that we have so it's like the adventure and then sort of intersecting into that we have these short stories that we wrote that have nothing to do with that adventure um i think a lot of people got a kick out of um naughty which is uh it's, well it's basically about an incubus if you know what a succubus is an incubus is kind of like the, the male version it's like a sex demon and but this one pretends it's Santa Claus, and that's how it meets women. Um, and, Wait, and that's yeah, what that's what you sent me. The, you sent me the reading, oh, oh, right? Oh, and whatever. Yes, 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 yes. I sent you that. Reading. That was that was and absolutely it, hilarious. You know, so man. this incubus, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the crowd got a good good kick out of it. Um, 
And and the thing is, it's like, so he's confronted by this guy whose wife he's had sex with. And um, things go left for the guy real, real, real bad. Um, and um, so it's a few stories like that. Um, so what ended up happening, that, like I, like you said in the intro, we, like, we won some awards. It was, a, it was kind of a nice thing. It was, it, was, it was a great night. You know, I got my sexy jacket on. You know, it was, it was, it was a good time. <laughs> Um, so then when that happens, you're like, well, all right, you got to come up with a sequel. What are we doing? Right. And since we, at that point, now, at that point, now we've got a podcast, Beef, Wine, and Shenanigans, and it's the three of us. Uh, it's me, Mark, and, and this other guy that works in television, Kirk Johnson. And, you know, and that kind of, the thing about our podcast, it started off as the three of us just breaking down. Um, you know, horror, science fiction, and Marvel shit, like, but, you know, through the lens of, you know, old African-American cats, right? You know, not old, old, but you know what I'm saying. And <laughs> and then Trump got elected. And then, it, and then it started becoming like a group therapy session because we kept having to wrestle with all this stuff that was happening. And and now, now we've kind of embraced it. So it's like, we'll, 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 talk like you know we'll talk down the boys or you know I, I like batman long halloween or something like that and then we'll switch and we'll play a game it's like the one the latest one that i've come up with is name that racist i saw that and i ask i ask questions <laughs> i ask questions and they have to figure out you know what racist i'm talking about and you know it's you know and it's just a gag it's just for fun um it's, it, it makes a, a horrible thing not so horrible i guess um we should play that real quick what does give us, right. give us <laughs> what's that if you give us a couple of questions play the game name that racist oh oh okay name that racist which ones did i do okay um here's one uh this uh baseball owner baseball team owner once referred to two of her outfielders as million dollar niggas cincinnati reds whatever her name. shot or shot yes 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 oh where's my bell <laughs> well, she, that's what happened I, I hit the bell when we get it right i have a bell we're talking about eric davis i think great. so i think that's right yeah 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 oh and the other thing is when i when i when i go full in and i I, I pull out the phone. You know, <laughs> it's not connected to anything, but you know, still, it's like I, yeah, I do that. So yeah, that that was good. That was good. Yeah, definitely, Margo shot. Um, yeah. So I do that with them, and they entertain my madness. So then, when it came time to do uh, uh, the sequel to Hell at the Way Station, we found another place. We found this black-owned tea shop on Nostrand Avenue and it's named Brooklyn Tea. So that's why the second book is named Hell at Brooklyn Tea. And it's kind of the same thing, only this time Kirk is also a character and he has a couple of stories in there as well. Awesome, man. Um, as we wind down, um, I, one, la one last quick question. If you thought vampires existed anywhere for real, where do you think that might be in the world? Oh, in the world. Um, I would almost say Congress, but I don't want to insult vampires like that. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a great answer. 
ghouls. You know, we want to we want to okay. see these. Uh, we want to see. Uh, we want to see these on the big screen. I think they deserve yeah. to be. They've got all the elements, man. They've got everything. Uh, ever, well, have, it's all there, man. I mean, how is that? How has that not even happened? Yeah, is that, is that I, happening? Things optioned or made? Uh, you know, uh, there's been a couple of conversations here and there. It's been tough, <laughs> and, and and honestly, chasing that while I'm also, you know, running back and forth doing this, you know, stage managing this show, that show. I mean, you know, it's like it's 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 been hard. Um, and, and there's a lot of other kids now snipping at my heels. There's a lot of people with graphic novels out, you know, and it's it, shit. If I could draw, that would be a whole other kind of thing. But um, hope springs eternal, guys. It, 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 it's like, I just gotta, you know, I just gotta have the right conversation with the right person. And, you know, I figure I'm off to the races. I, I figure that it is time because it's never been more time for this, you know, we need it. That's all. I, that's all else. That's where I'll leave it. With well, that. brother, your your beard to God's ears. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> um, real quick. So you know that uh, almost we've been doing it lately. Of every episode that we're asking guests to uh, help us provide a playlist of music for each episode. We usually have a little okay. on. Is there any that you would like us to uh, throw down? We usually make it about an hour long of a set list of music. Do you have a couple that you would uh, I'll throw a couple of this and a little of that there, but what, what are some of your uh, some music that either inspired you for who you are or stuff that you just really love? Let's go with stuff that I just really love. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in a little DMX okay. After. party up just cause um, I'll throw in um just because I, I had, and it was odd that you bring this up because I was just listening, just just needed to hear this song for some silly reason, Message in a Bottle by the Police. Oh, like, <laughs> I don't know why that that came up, but it just did. Um, there you go. Yeah, I know, I know nobody was expecting that, um, especially after DMX. Uh, I would say, um, and you know, just to round it off, uh, a little Avenged Sevenfold, um, Nightmare. Okay, nice so man. They, they, those, those tracks will make it on the playlist. We'll all Sweet. on the list. I was gonna throw on some Tangerine Dream, maybe a little uh, something else from the 1970s, from a couple of horror films that we talked about. A little mm -hmm. bit of Goblin from Suspiria. Um, hey, would I you like go that. with the Little Vampire Weekend? Empire no. Week. <laughs> <laughs> you know um, me too well, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> he gets as we be. It's every time. I mean, last week it was summer of '69. All of a sudden, I was a big fan of summer. Brian Adams, <laughs> the Canadian rock star, Pete. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> SVP, well, we really appreciate your time, and uh, yeah, I think you're you're you've got a fresh approach to uh, a genre that's uh, meaningful. To, you know, it's since film and books have been written, so uh, I definitely look forward to uh, you. seeing your 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 uh, books visually. So uh, yeah, keep that, and uh, I'm interested in learning more myself. So uh, thanks for your time; appreciate it. He needs that. Thank because you, George. Roger. 
<laughs> he does George doesn't read, so that's why he needs it on the big screen. And the audiobook, yeah. man. And the audiobooks. <laughs> audiobooks. You know what? That reminds me, I have to call somebody who's supposed to be working on audio audiobook stuff. Actually. Would you read your where the hell he is at have that? somebody else do it? Um I don't know. It's like I I could, I guess. It's but it's like I I I, I don't know. I, I've seen I've heard other people read my stuff and been like, oh <laughs> you know, like well, damn. <laughs> um so I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm open to I'm open to various scenarios. Excellent. Dude, my brother, thank you very much, man. It's, it was really great oh, seeing you, awesome. catching up. And uh, uh, I, I think I think our internet is just all wonky all around. But um, uh, if you can hear me, I'm I thank you, man. Um, Rogers, all oh, awesome, dude. Rogers going to take us out, and uh, we will have all of your uh, all of your information on the post. Um, you know, we get a little artwork going for these things, and uh, can't wait to release it, man. And uh, and let and just further let the people know about Stephen Van Patten. No, dude, fellas, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Absolutely. That was a, a wonderful episode. Thank you, Mr. Stephen Van Patten. Make sure to check out uh, his novels at laughingblackvampireproductions.com or brookwaterscurse.com. Get you at the same place. Check out all the self-publishing books that he's been uh, writing now. We've got six novels and several different uh in uh, a book on marijuana <laughs> i love it yep <laughs> and as that is the end of our program i want to thank all of you listeners for being a loyal fan base at five dollar buzz please remember to hit subscribe on youtube or on spotify or on apple uh thank and like us and if you have any comments questions any ideas for future episodes or guests please email us at $5buzz.com. And that's F-I-V-E-D-O-L-L-A-R-B-U-Z-Z at gmail.com. And we'll get back to you just as soon as we're done sucking somebody's blood. Thank you very much and have a great day.